The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Will it be a Tuesday turnaround? Futures, they are higher after big parts of the market and your money get hit with their worst day since October. Much of it on new COVID concerns, the Delta variant spreading. But don't be surprised as former HHS official Chris Meekins, he is here to tell you where this is likely heading. Big Blue flexing its might as IBM posts its strongest sales growth in years, sending shares soaring. Countdown to liftoff. Jeff Bezos just hours away from becoming the latest billionaire to ascend to the heavens. We are live at the launch site with a preview. And speaking of flying high, the most important part of the global supply chain, soaring in prices. The CEO of one of America's biggest ports, breaking down what that means to you. It is all happening on this Tuesday, July 20th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good Tuesday morning. Let's get right now to the markets and your money after yesterday's big haircut. Stock futures, they are posting a turnaround right now, not nearly to the level of our drop-off yesterday, but they are higher. Dow futures up 226, NASDAQ up 77, about four-tenths of 1%. All this after Monday's steep sell-off, where the Dow fell 725 points, roughly 2%. That is its worst daily performance since October 28th. The S&P and the NASDAQ shedding 1.5% and 1% respectively. But context always is key. Even after the drop, the S&P 500 is just about 3% below the record high it hit last week. It is still up 13% year to date. Something to remember. In bonds, though, the 10-year yield, that continues to be the big story. Down again right now to 1.20%. Remember, Guggenheim's Scott Miner, it's hugely contrarian call made right here on this program months ago about rates going back below 1%, looking very, very smart right now. We also have to look at oil, like everything else on Monday, getting crushed. That sell-off pushing prices to their lowest level in two months, down multiple percent. Oil stocks got hammered the most to the market. Right now, not much of a rebound. Oil up a couple of pennies to 66.50. The S&B Oil & Gas Exploration ETF, it was down 4% in yesterday's session, up 1.25% now, but cold comfort to those who invested in it just about a month ago. Let's go around the world and see how the world reacted to Monday's session, a negative session in Asia, not nearly as bad as what we had here. We were down, you can see that, a lot of red on the screen, but not nearly to the level we had here. And taking a look at the early trade in the European markets, We are seeing, kind of like with our futures, a bit of a rebound, a bit of a pop. But again, not nearly as much as what happened here yesterday. Still, we are all in the green. 
And it is all about your money and the markets this Tuesday morning. And let's try to make sense of it all and bring in Michael Sheldon, Chief Market Strategist at RDM Financial Group. Michael, good to have you back on. What do you think happened yesterday? What are you telling your clients right now? Well, yesterday was a tough day in the markets. There's no two ways about it. Uh, it does look like today has may turn out to be Turnaround Tuesday. We remain constructive in our outlook for consumer and business spending as we look ahead over the next six to 12 months or so. It's important to keep things in perspective. Uh, investors have been sort of trained to buy the dips. For example, each time the S&P 500 has sort of flirted with a 50-day moving average since October of last year, that 50-day moving average is held. So um, you're seeing buyers come back into the market once again today. There are definitely some concerns out there, which we're watching. The Delta variant is something which really wasn't on our radar coming into this year. Obviously, we were getting through the prior vaccine, uh, prior um, COVID. Uh, you also have potential for higher inflation. We don't know how long that's going to last. The Fed is, is about to remove some of its policy accommodation, and investors also are wondering about peak profits and peak growth. So, the markets are sort of climbing the proverbial war, uh, wall of worry, but it's important to keep in mind that economic expansions typically last a matter of years as, a past, as opposed to uh, months or quarters. Yeah, I mean, listen, first things first, we care about everybody's health. We care about everybody's safety, and that is why we are watching the Delta variant and whichever variant, by the way, will come next because there likely be one. But you tie COVID together to CNBC and the markets and the economy and it's what happens with lockdowns, what happens with earnings growth, what happens to uh, economies. And Bill de Blasio, New York City, basically said, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to shut down. There's not going to be any mass. L.A. County going in a different way. Are you able to gauge, and I bring that up only because, Michael, are you able to gauge what may likely happen with the economy and thus corporate earnings and thus the equity markets? Is there visibility right now? Well, it is important to keep an eye on corporate profits, for example, because stocks tend to follow the direction of corporate profits over time. Um, taking a step back, we think we're in a different place than we were in early 2020. We think it's very unlikely that the, that the overall economy will shut down the way it did. Uh, the mask mandate seems like it's starting to come back in certain areas, but I think overall sentiment is definitely against closing down the overall economy. And one of the, one of the questions that's come up recently is, the worries about peak GDP growth and peak profits. But I think it's important to, to point out that peak, uh, when we reach the peak in terms of year-over-year GDP and corporate profits, that doesn't mean the economy has reached its peak. So going back to the fact that historically economic expansions last a number of years, I think investors you know, rightfully have gotten concerned about some of the recent issues, but they need to keep an eye on the big picture. And I, I think ultimately what we're thinking is that there's going to be a handoff from monetary policy and fiscal stimulus to continued job growth, along with consumer spending and a pickup in business spending over the next several quarters. Any parts of the market, given, assuming, and it's a big assumption, but, but Michael, maybe a dangerous one, earnings growth continues the way it's going to go, despite everything else that's going on. Any parts of the market right now that look more attractive to you? Well, I think importantly, you need to, our thinking is that you want to have a barbell because we're having this transition from early cycle to mid cycle. So the 
opening, reopening trade has given back a lot. You've seen double digit or you've seen corrections in parts of the markets like the transportation stocks, the energy stocks you were talking about, basic materials. But I think as we transition to mid-cycle, I think you want to have more of a barbell. It's not all about technology as it was the past several years. You want to have more balance in your portfolios and you want to move up in quality. Uh, it's a little too early to be defensive, though. Michael Sheldon, RDM Financial with a bullish view long term. Again, got to remember, the Dow is up 30 percent since the last big down day on October 28th. Something we got to always remember. Climbing that wall of worry. Michael, thank you very much. Appreciate you coming on. Well, as always, there are many things happening outside of the markets and your money. You're welcome. So let's hit some of your top stories right now. Christina Partsinevelis is here now with some of those. Good morning, Christina. Good morning, Brian. So we have the State Department and CDC that are urging Americans to avoid traveling to the U.K. And this is amid mounting concerns, as we know, about the Delta variant. So the agency's issuing level four warnings, their highest, actually. Then that's the same day England lifted remaining COVID restrictions. Infections remain high across the U.K. with more than 316,000 cases reported over the last seven days. That's more than 40 percent higher than we previously saw over a seven-day period. The United States and Germany are reportedly expected to announce a deal in the coming days resolving their ongoing dispute over Russia's Nord Stream 2 natural gas pipeline. According to Reuters, the deal on the $11 billion pipeline is close after President Biden and German Chancellor Angela Merkel failed to strike a deal when they met last week. The report says the deal will include commitments by both sides to ensure increased investments in Ukraine's energy sector to offset any negative fallout from the new pipeline. And Treasury Secretary here in the United States, Janet Yellen, says the U.S. government should move quickly to create a regulatory framework around stable coins. Those comments on the class of digital currencies coming amid a meeting of President Biden's top financial advisors. That guidance, though, on stable coins is that cryptos that are more specifically cryptos that attempt to peg their values to a conventional currency. And that's supposed to come within the next few months, Brian. But we know that this is something that even uh, Jay Powell of the Federal Reserve has mentioned as of late, that we need a regulatory uh, oversight on these stable coins as they gain in popularity. Uh, yeah, the cryptos, Christina, have been hit hard as well. We could see Bitcoin there on the bottom out of our screen, back below 30,000. Ethereum mm-hmm. below 2,000 as well. It's been a very tough ride for the cryptos. Christina, we'll see you in a few minutes. Thank you very much. Well, there is so much left to do this morning. And when we come back, your morning's big money movers, including PPG and what shares of the paint and coatings maker, why they're seeing red down nearly 6%. They got slammed Monday. Also getting hit. Our GOAT index, get out and travel, the companies and the stocks feeling some of that COVID crunch. And back to the office, well, eh, maybe not so fast. The one massive company suddenly rethinking its plans to bring you back to your desk. We have got a lot to do. Dow Futures up 202. And we are back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. 
Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers, the three big stock stories of the morning, and let's call them the acronym trio, shall we? Stock number one, IBM, International Business Machines. Revenue rising for the second straight quarter, beating estimates. However, profit fell, but it still managed to top forecasts. A recovery in spending by customers feeling strong growth in the cloud and consulting business. IBM up nearly 4%. Stock number two, UBS, Union Bank of Switzerland. Net profit of the bank jumping 63% in the second quarter. And that blew past most analyst estimates. Strong markets continue to help the world's largest wealth manager generate higher earnings from managing cash for all those wealthy clients. And stock number three, PPG shares getting hit hard, down nearly 6%. Earnings whiffing by a wide margin. Blame the supply chain. They do. PPG says problems getting materials pushing prices higher. And PPG expects those higher costs to persist this quarter. And here's what's random but interesting. If you're wondering where the company's name came from, PPG was originally founded as the Pittsburgh Plate Glass Company. Now you know. All right, on deck, General Motors looking to give its lineup of electric cars a big jolt. After warning last week, don't charge its bolt inside or without you watching. We'll tell you what they're doing now. Always doubt futures rise 221. We're back after this. Today's big number, 1,250%. That was the jump in Dogecoin trading volumes during the second quarter of the year, according to data by Coinbase. That's an average of $995 million per day during the period, up from $74 million per day in the first quarter. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back. Do you remember, loyal viewer, back in February when we brought you the show live from the port of Charleston, South Carolina? We were down there talking about sky-high shipping container rates and why there was a shortage of those big metal boxes that run the world's supply chain. Well, since then, it's only gotten worse. Check this out. Since we were down in the Queen City, rates have just kept going higher. In fact, they have nearly doubled since then. According to the Drury Freight Index, the cost a ship, a 40-foot container, is now nearly $9,000 from the busiest ports. So how much higher can these record markets go? For more, let's bring in Jim Newsom. He's the CEO of the South Carolina Port Authority, Longtime veteran of the global shipping market, Jim, great to have you back on. Love your insight. And I understand these, these, these numbers we're quoting, their spot rates. If you were to just kind of, I need a box, you know, and you go out and charter it, contract rates are lower. 
but I always kind of thought we'd get that uh, Sports Illustrated moment from February. If I'm there, maybe that's the peak. That has not been the case. What are you seeing in the global shipping market right now? Well, good morning, Brian. It's certainly not the case, and, and the contract rates are also significantly higher. But more importantly, if, if you don't have a pre-existing shipping relationship with a carrier, it's very unlikely that you're going to get any space uh, on ships. The ships are absolutely full. We're importing about 2.5 million TUs a month, and that's kind of the benchmark that we have to watch for volumes, really. We get above that, we really have even more pressure in the, in the U.S. global supply chain. You know, and the thing we talked about down in your port facility was how the market is so hot that instead of a a container coming off a ship, going around America, picking up a bunch of stuff and then going back to Asia or Europe, they're actually shipping the containers back to Asia empty to, you know, basically get back in line. Is that still the case? If if Newsom Sullivan Corporation wanted to, 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 to book a container... Could we? Well, well, we could. Um, I mean, obviously, there's a disparity in inbound and outbound freight rates that's driving that. But but what we're noticing is that the pace of deliveries, the pace of movement of containers is slowing down. This time last year, we had about 27,000 containers of all types on our terminal. You know, we're up close to 44,000 now. So the velocity of movement through the supply chain is slowing down. So we've got lots of empties, lots of exports. There have been some missed sailings because of schedule unreliability. So that it's not as easy to ship empty containers back as you, as you once might have thought. And this all goes to the inflation story. That's one of the reasons it's so important. I mean, pretty much everything we buy is going to be coming from China or some other place. Do you see any sign of this supply chain inflation, for lack of a better term, abating? Well, most people that we, I mean, I don't think anybody really knows, most people that we talk to believe this situation is going to last through Chinese New Year next year, uh, so January of 2022. uh, And then we'll have to see what happens. Do people shift more to buying services, going back on cruises, taking vacations and buying less? How many flat screen TVs do you need at home? I mean, we don't. There's a tremendous boom in in furnishings for homes that still continues. So it's hard to see any abatement. Certainly through through the fall, beginning of next year, we see roughly a constant situation here. Yeah, and the other part of the supply chain, one we may not talk about, Jim, is, is the truck drivers. I love coming to your facility. You guys do a great job. It's beautiful. It's just so cool to watch the harmony of the boxes onto the ships, onto the trucks, and out the door. Are you able to find, not you, but are your customers, your clients, are they able to find truck drivers? We have talked about gasoline shortages in America right now, not because there's no gasoline, but because for whatever reason, insert your own reason here, there's fewer drivers to actually take the stuff from point A to point B. Well, trucking is not a homogeneous industry. Container trucking is is a largely owner-operator based, and it's pretty much maxed out. And, of course, a lot of the turn times on terminals are increasing because nobody added staff in the pandemic not knowing what the future looked like. So port capacity is pretty rigid. It's hard to grow 30 or 40 percent and not have an impact here or there. So I, I would say it's a significant issue if we don't find a way 
to attract more drivers to container trucking, that could put a lid on container growth in this country. I think it's the biggest strategic threat really going forward. Wow. And bottom line is, Jim, from your perch, which is high, you also were an executive at a global shipping firm for, for a long time. You say this is going to go on for some time. Well, we, I mean, we think it will, at least for the next year. I think what people also don't realize, port capacity is fairly rigid. There, there's not a lot of new, no one's really talking about this, not a lot of new port capacity being built. We have the only new terminal built since 2009. The next one's probably in 2030 in the United States. So we've got to make do with what we've got with bigger ships, more big ships coming, which really reduces berth capacity in terminals. So we've got to find a way to build more infrastructure. Hopefully this infrastructure plan will will be responsive to that. And by the way, did not congratulate you on the opening of that new Leatherman terminal, which I got to tour. It wasn't open just yet, Jim. Congrats to you and your team for getting the first new port terminal open in, in more than a decade. Jim, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Brian. Always good to see you. Appreciate it. All right, very important story there. 9000 bucks for one of those boxes. Wow. All right, let's take a step outside the morning markets and get a check on some other key headlines, including why one Taylor Swift just keeps on making bank. It may or may not have something to do with NBC's Philip Mena, but he is in New York now with that and more. Good morning, Man. Philip. Boy, do I wish, Brian. Uh, Good morning. Uh, One week from today, the House will launch its investigation into the deadly insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. A select committee will dive into the root causes of the siege and recommend how to prevent any future attacks. Speaker Nancy Pelosi has already announced her appointees. And yesterday, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy named his five House Republicans to serve on that commission. Indiana's Jim Banks, Rodney Davis from Illinois, Ohio's Jim Jordan, North Dakota's Kelly Armstrong, and Troy Niels from Texas. Now, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi still has to sign on to these appointments before the committee's first hearing. Just days before the Olympics opening ceremony, two members of the USA gymnastics team are in quarantine after one tested positive for COVID. Both are alternatives, alternates rather, on the team, and they learned of their status after arriving in Tokyo. Uh, Officials are relying on strict protocols to protect athletes as well as others working at the games. And finally, Billboard has released music's top moneymakers of 2020. Unfortunately, I have nothing to do with this. Start with number five, pop star Billie Eilish, who earned $14.7 million last year, preceded by the rock band The Eagles, who made $16.3 million. Celine Dion came in at number three with $17.5 million. Post Malone was number two. He made $23.2 million last year. And the top earner, as Brian mentioned, of 2020 is Taylor Swift. She cashed in with $23.8 million. Now, Brian, the Taylor Swift part, that doesn't surprise me at all. I got to say, the Eagles... After 50 years together, still cashing in over $16 million last year. Uh, that's pretty impressive. I didn't see that one coming. Yeah, you got Post Malone. I get Swift at one, no doubt. I get, you know, but yeah, the Eagles, a surprise. I, they must, you know, just had some, you know, their greatest hits one or greatest <laughs> hits two. But Post Malone coming in at two may be a bit of a surprise as well. But I'm old. Yeah, Celine Dion. (laughs) Well, Post Malone has a lot of hits, bro. A lot, a lot of hits out right now. So I can see all those. Yeah, Celine Dion. I'm I'm not saying no. What I'm saying is look at the mix. It's like the Eagles, who are like twice my age, which is old. Celine Dion, (laughs) 
Post Malone, what a mix. You yeah. know, it's wealthy and eclectic. I think I quote the great Taylor Swift when I say, look what you made me do, <laughs> Philip Mena. Uh, but there is no bad blood here. Never. Philip, thank you. All right, buddy. I will never, ever, ever do that again. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Up next, COVID concerns or just big action in the options market. What exactly happened yesterday in the markets? We're going to make you smarter. Jeff Kilberg and Chris Murphy are here to make sense of all the volatility and where there may be opportunity to be had. We are back with Dow Futures up 200 right after this. The Bulls may be back in town. Stocks looking at a Tuesday turnaround around optimism about Fed help trumping COVID concerns for stocks. Those concerns all around the Delta variant's growth. But should you be surprised this is even happening? Former HHH official Chris Meekins here to make sense of it all. And the billionaire space race entering the next phase as Jeff Bezos and his Blue Origin rocket prepare to head to the heavens. All on this Tuesday, July 20th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, welcome or welcome back and good Tuesday morning, 531 here on the East Coast. And here's how your money and investments look right now as we are halfway through the 5 a.m. hour and a very different story from yesterday, all after Monday's steep sell-off. Now, at this time yesterday, Dow futures down like 350. And I said, I have no idea what's going on. Guess what? The selling just accelerated. We were down over 900 at one point, ended down 725. Worst day since October 28th. Right now, we are up. Not nearly to the level we were down yesterday, I know, but Dow Futures up about 200 right now. In bonds, the big bond yield story, that continues to be a story. And as we talked about, Guggenheim Scott Minard, who made the call right on this show a couple of months ago, that rates would go down. Extremely contrarian call at the time. That call, looking super smart right now. Bond yields down to 1.19%. Wow. And of course, with the markets coming down and new Delta variant COVID concerns going up, we've got to talk about our GOAT index, the get out and travel index we built. It took a huge hit on those COVID concerns. Delta, American, all down around 4%. United Airlines down more than that. Southwest, JetBlue, all down a bit of a bounce back right now. We are seeing the airline stocks up 1% to 2%. Not much better for the cruising companies as well yesterday. And kind of a similar story, they're all coming back, not quite to the level they dropped yesterday, but they are up still, like Norwegian, down about 5% on Monday, up 2.5%. So a little bit of a clawback, but not nearly to the level they were. All right. Yesterday, the bulls, clearly in charge. You had sellers far outnumbering buyers. Now, of course, buyers have had the upper hand over the past year, so Both sides, if you sat around a table last night over dinner, could argue that they had a point. And what exactly are both of those sides? Well, let us quickly run through each main case and then get our friend Jeff Kilberg's take. All right, here's what the stock market bears would likely point to. As we talked about, market structure. Something we'll hit on in a few minutes. Pay attention. You have options bets to the downside that are hanging out there. You got inflation fears. We hit the container story. 
You got new lockdown concerns. Los Angeles County reinstituting the mask mandate. Even if they want to get people vaccinated, still telling people to wear a mask indoors. And of course, the rising China tension, which may actually be the biggest story in the world. Some strong arguments. But then the market bulls will come in and say, oh, no, 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 no. You got it all wrong. Here's the real situation. You got earnings growth still strong. Yeah, the lockdowns may change that, but right now they're not. You got the U.S. economy, if you can find workers, still booming in massive parts of America. We can manage the Delta variant. The good news is that the vaccines appear to be highly effective against hospitalizations and severe outcomes, even on some of the variants. And of course, you got tons of cash on the sideline. Oh, yeah. Can we throw the wall back up? The Federal Reserve. At the end of the day, if this is all about central bank help, if the headlines get worse, the Federal Reserve may just come in and stay loose for longer. So both sides with some very strong points. And here is something to consider. Monday was the worst day for the Dow since October 28th. Since that big sell-off back then, the index has only risen by about 30%. Just something to remember. And I guess our de facto RBI, since we're not doing one today. Let's welcome in our friend and Sanctuary Wealth Chief Investment Officer, Jeff Kilberg. So, Jeff, we highlighted the bear case, the bull case. The Bears won out yesterday. I think it had a lot to do more with options and COVID, but that's just me. Nobody cares what I think. What do you think? So I don't think you give too much credit to the Bears. I still think they're sleeping and hibernating. And why am I saying that? Let's look at the option market. You brought up the option market. We saw the VIX not even go over 25. That's the fear index. And when you see the option premiums being evaluated, there really wasn't that scare, that sense of uh, uncertainty. It was certainly in the market. It was the prevailing undercurrent yesterday. But with the VIX... Rewind a year ago, March 23rd, the low of the stock market, when you saw the S&P 500 under 2200, which, by the way, is almost, you know, it's gone up almost 100 percent. But when that VIX was up above 85, that was tangible fear. So sure enough, you did see some uncertainty. We've talked about how, you know, spot on Scott Minard. I was also in the camp that you were going to see the 10 year go under one and a half percent. You saw continuous buying, but nothing feels and tastes and smells better than U.S. Treasuries, Sully, when you do see that uncertainty. But my point and why I'm bullish, I really think the consumer here is going to overcome the Delta variant. I'm not diminishing the potential of the Delta variant and the effect it may have on the marketplace, but right now there's buying opportunities. I like really looking at the airline sector. I like the consumer. I'm really excited about the second half. And to your point, that $4.5 trillion sitting in cash is looking to gobble up any type of pullback. Yeah, I mean, you're making a big point. Listen, I think the, you know, I, I can't speak for the country. I can't speak for what states are going to do. We're talking about the economic. I'm flying on Sunday. I've got like 25 flights booked for the next 35 weekends. That's, that's a literal number, Jeff. You're probably in the same camp. I'm not changing my plans. You're probably not changing your plans. Yeah, there's a lot going on. But to your point, right now, it doesn't appear that consumers or companies are going to change their trajectory which is higher. And that's a great point. Look at United Airlines. We're excited about those earnings. I think this week is a great cross-section of earnings. We have the airlines. We have Johnson & Johnson. We have Coca-Cola. But specific to United Airlines, 
They're projected to lose about $4.23. That's about half what they were going to what they lost last year a year ago the same quarter. So what is United Airlines doing? They have about $15 billion earmarked for new planes. There's another 50 regional jets that they just ordered. So they're anticipating this pent-up demand. So it's very important, your travel schedule and my travel schedule. But nonetheless, these big airlines who are flat on the air, look at United Airlines, look at Delta, look at even Boeing. They're all kind of hugging that flat performance-wise year-to-date in 2021. So I think there's a pickup there. It makes a ton of sense as we find some normalcy going into the fall, which I do think will be travel, will be hotel usage. I don't know about the Carnival Cruise Line yet. That's not my space, but I do know airlines. I'm going to be at O'Hare Airport here in a couple hours. I do know that it's going to be busy because every flight I've been on the last couple weeks, Sully, has been packed. Yeah, go, you're going, and you're going to O'Hare today. Give us an update on, on what it looks like. You know, when a name like Costco comes down a couple bucks off its high, I'm thinking it's the one store that was basically ordered to stay open during the pandemic. I, some of the stock market behavior yesterday, I just don't understand, but I understand Jeff Kilberg making sense of it. Jeff, safe travels, by the way. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks, pal, and happy belated birthday to you. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Dow Fallen. 725, I feel like maybe I did something wrong. Anyway, Jeff, thanks. All right, let's talk more now about the COVID concerns and the Delta variant. Welcome back in. Chris Meekins, healthcare policy analyst at Freeman James, former health and human services official. His reports, always a must read, like 75, 80 pages long. Uh, Chris, welcome. Listen, um, you have said it on this show. I have read it in your reports, which, by the way, are fantastic. Uh, Here's the sad part is that the Delta variant is the latest. There'll probably be another one after that and another one after that. You have said it. Everybody in America is likely to at some point get infected or get vaccinated or maybe in some very small cases, both, before this is done. By the way, it's around the world, not just here. Where do you see this heading? Look, the bottom line here is we knew the Delta variant was going to be impactful. It's a more transmissible invariant variant here. So it's entirely possible we could see the U.S. hit 100,000 cases a day. But that doesn't mean we need to lock down. That's the wrong data point for investors and for policymakers to be looking at. The important data point is whether or not our health systems are going to be overwhelmed by the number of patients that need care. And there's no evidence we're going to hit that uh, level. And as a result, we really shouldn't see the type of lockdowns that we saw previously when health systems were overwhelmed with more than 100,000 people hospitalized a day in the United States. Yeah, you know, listen, I was born 50 years ago yesterday in Los Angeles. Chris, uh, I, I grew up in Los Angeles. I still have fondness for the area. They're reinstituting the mask mandate. I'm not knocking masks whatsoever. I was masked up all last year like everybody else. But if you're trying to get people vaccinated Is there any indication that when you reinstitute the mask mandates, and I'll give New York City credit, they're not doing it, that's the wrong way to go. I mean, that's what people like you have said. If we want to get people vaccinated, give them a benefit. Otherwise, they're not if they're on the fence, they may be less likely to do it. Yeah, no question. People should get vaccinated because it's best for their health. And we know from an outcome standpoint, even if you get COVID, you're much less likely to be hospitalized and you're much less likely to die. So that should be enough of an inspiration. But we know not everyone takes COVID as seriously as some of us do. Uh, So you have to give them other incentives. And if you're going to say 
hey, look, vaccinated people are going to be treated the same as unvaccinated people. Everyone's still going to have to mask up. People are probably going to be less likely to get vaccinated. And when we're talking about negatively impacting vaccinations, FDA needs to get on its tail and approve the vaccines because there's a lot of people that say it's still experimental and uh, it ha it's only under emergency use. Well, FDA has the power, has more than 150 million shots in the U.S., been administered. You've got more than 150 million people with vaccines with positive outcomes. Get on the ball and actually approve this thing so people can feel more comfortable and help the vaccination efforts. If you can approve a drug like the Alzheimer's drug from Biogen that may not actually work, you think they'd be able to get on board yeah. and handle these vaccines to help us get vaccinated. Yeah, it's still such an important point. Still not officially endorsed. And by the way, our, our treatment of this, some of the, the treatments after infection are so much better than they were even a few months ago. And Chris, lay out the difference between us and the UK, because I understand we look at the UK, right? We say, look at their case trajectory. Few important differences from my vantage point. Tell me if I'm wrong. Number one, they they went with the let's get more people one shot first, then get people the two shot regimen strategy. And they have more AstraZeneca and fewer mRNA type vaccines. Is the UK the path we're going to take or are those differences enough to have a meaningful difference in our ultimate path? Yeah, I think those differences do matter and they are meaningful, but we do have a larger portion of our population unvaccinated. So we're going to see high case counts, right? We're going to have 100,000 cases a day. But the important comparison to me is not necessarily the U.S. versus the U.K. It's the U.K. versus Indonesia or Brazil. One of my colleagues, Pavel, uh, who's been tracking the international stuff, has highlighted the fact that you've got Indonesia and Brazil, both with 50,000 cases a day, like the U.K., and yet the U.K. is fewer than 100 deaths a day, and Brazil and Indonesia have more than 1,000. And what's the big difference? Vaccinations. So the fact that we have so many people vaccinated, and even if you get one shot, even if it's a less effective vaccine like the AstraZeneca one, it can still improve the ultimate outcomes, which is how many people are hospitalized and how many people die from this. And that's ultimately what matters. Not saying case counts don't matter. More testing, more cases it's the outcomes, making sure everybody stays safe. Chris Meekins, Raymond James, always a must read. Chris, appreciate you coming on, making sense of it all. Thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. All right. Well, up next, on a very different note, the countdown is on. Jeff Bezos and the Blue Origin Rocket team, they are preparing for takeoff. Morgan Brennan has taken off. She is on the ground in Van Horn, Texas wherever that is, with a preview of Bezos' big flight today. Awesome stuff up next. All right, welcome back and good Tuesday morning. It's looking like not a Tuesday turnaround, not a Tuesday turnaround, but we are in the green right now. Dow futures, they are up 143, NASDAQ up 62 about four-tenths of 1%. I know, we fell 725 yesterday, so a long way to go to recoup those losses, but some of those fears, some of that selling, some of that, maybe that washout, if you will, not being followed through today. All right, on deck. Do you want to understand why stocks really sold off yesterday? 
Well, if you do, then you're going to have to listen to our next guest. He will make you a lot smarter. All right, welcome back. Not just about the markets today. We are over three hours away from former Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos blasting off into space on one of his Blue Origin rockets. Morgan Brennan is live in Van Horn, Texas, with a preview of the big day. Morgan, I love it. It's an amazing story. It's the right stuff. What can you tell us? (laughs) <laughs> I like that little I like that little nod right there. Well, I'll tell you, Brian, currently a go for launch from here in the West Texas desert at 9 a.m. Eastern this morning as Jeff Bezos and his three crewmates, his brother Mark, Wally Funk, Oliver Damon, begin to make their way to Blue Origin's launch site one ahead of this suborbital trip to space. This is a trip, by the way, that uh, it will be the first time that New Shepard has humans on board. Now, they have been training for the past two days. They stayed in Airstream trailers in a nod to those Mercury-era astronauts. And meantime, overnight, we did see the rocket and the capsule rolled out to the launch pad. Fueling happening, a heading ahead of the crew climbing on board, which is going to happen uh, in just a little under two hours from now. They're going to climb those stairs. They're going to make their way onto the capsule. Now, I spoke with Blue Origin's New Shepard designer, Gary Lai, about the system ahead of this historic flight. We are very confident that we will have a safe launch tomorrow. Um, New Shepard is a part of a much, much bigger uh, program at Blue Origin. We're building the road to space. This is where it starts. So what can we expect at liftoff a little bit later this morning? Well, this is going to be an 11-minute fully autonomous trip past the internationally designated start of space, the Kármán line, to an altitude of roughly 65 miles. You're going to see the rocket detach and re-land here in the desert. There's going to be weightlessness for the... uh, potential prospective astronauts and then that capsule itself is going to hurtle back down to earth parachutes are going to deploy and that too is going to land back here uh, in the launch site one area it's a mission brian that if all goes according to plan will make history with both the oldest person to have ever traveled to space with wally funk and the youngest person oliver damon who by the way is also a paying passenger which is why this specific mission also marks the launch of commercial service for this suborbital space tourism offering for Blue Origin. Okay, quickly, who is Oliver Damon and how can he afford it? And uh, how high are they going to go? How does it compare to Richard Branson's trip last week? Both of these trips are suborbital trips to space. This is going to be higher than Richard Branson and Virgin Galactic. Uh, that's the altitude, the max altitude for that specific flight nine days ago was about 53 miles. This one likely to go about 65 miles. There's been a whole back and forth about where that official start to space actually is because the U.S. recognizes it at 50 miles. The international recognition is at that Carmen line, 62 miles. Nonetheless, it's basically the same effects, uh, This these trips. The weightlessness, the curvature of the earth that uh, that passengers get to feel. As far as Oliver Damon, it was his dad that bought the ticket. He's a private equity executive. Uh, and at 18 years old, as I mentioned, he is poised to become the youngest person to receive astronaut wings. Amazing stuff. And we can't wait to see it. Morgan, so glad you're there. Just absolutely cool stuff. Morgan Brennan, Van Horn, Texas. Jeff Bezos. Awesome. Morgan, thank you. All right. Now back to the markets and your money. And yesterday's huge drop being attributed nearly everywhere, maybe rightly so, to new concerns over fears of COVID-related lockdowns. Now, that may have been the spark. 
But as we have said for years on this show, you also have to focus on stock market structure. In other words, sort of the underlying pistons that run the market engine, if you will. And no one knows more about that than Chris Murphy. He is co-head of derivative strategy at Susquehanna. Chris, thanks for joining us. And, and again, you know, listen, with all due respect to our industry, what, we got to find headlines. Can't just say markets go down and no one knows why. COVID concerns, Delta variants, it's a real threat. It's a concern. But as you've noted, this market for years is this, this cycle, right? Uh, buy equities, sell volatility, buy equities, sell volatility. And once that pattern ends, you get these big, steep drop-offs. What exactly happened yesterday? Sure. Hey, Brian, thanks for having me. So yesterday we started to see a little bit of an unwind in, in a lot of uh, positioning. You know, you hear about, just like you explained, you know, volatility, uh, short kind of strategies, uh, volatility targeting where, you know, the market grinds higher, you sell more volatility, you can buy more of the market, et cetera. We started to see a little bit of that unwind yesterday in the option positioning. Um, but I would note, so one thing we're always going to be looking for on days of stress and to say that really things have unwound a little bit will be the VIX term structure inverting. Uh, and that's generally just a sign of a lot of risk and, 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 and panic and uh, concern being pulled into the very near term. Uh, that VIX term structure did invert for much of the day, but just like we've seen for the last 15 months, the late kind of buy the dip mentality and a pullback in volatility um, left the VIX not inverting its normal structure. So I didn't really see an extreme amount of panic, especially with that late day move. So was yesterday, do you think, from the options market, what you're seeing, Chris, was yesterday a washout or the washout? No, you know, and that main VIX term structure indicator that's kind of a capitulation indicator, that did not happen. Uh, we also look a lot for a situation where over 95% of S&P components are down on the day for a signal of a washout. We didn't see that either. Um, you know, the good news is the market rebounded at the end of the day. But really, you know, if you know, it's very heavy right now out there and a number of concerns. So uh, you actually like to see that capitulation kind of indicator type happen so you can feel more comfortable for the stock market to kind of find its footing and, and rebound going forward. Well, as we pointed out earlier, you know, October, yesterday was the biggest down day since October 28th, at least for the Dow. I know pros don't watch it, but whatever. And yet we're up 30% since that time. Long term, do you still see the positioning on the bullish side or are people truly this time saying, no, it's bearish. We're going down. I'm not a buyer. You know, I think that I think that we're well overdue for one of those, just even a healthy run of the mill, 5 to 10% pullback. Uh, the positioning is pretty um, you know, crowded on the long side, like you kind of mentioned. So uh, I don't think that this near-term turbulence is over yet. We're entering a seasonably yeah. weak period in August and September. So um, I would still be looking out for um, uh, that capitulation. I guess like Jeff Bezos, we are along for the ride, as they say, and it may be a bumpy trip. Chris Murphy, Susquehanna, laying it out, making sense. Chris, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, folks, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. I am off tomorrow. I'll see you back on Thursday. Dow futures up a buck twenty-five. Have a great day, Squawk and the Gang, picking it all up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.